0: From the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Each week we bring you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest names in filmmaking. It's April 6th, 2016. I'm Michael Oedmark, one of the show's producers. Today we're sharing some highlights from this year's New Directors, New Films, which is co-presented by the Film Society and the Museum of Modern Art. For 45 years, New Directors has introduced New York audiences to some of the most exciting new voices in world cinema from Ho Shao Shen to Kelly Reichardt, Chantal Ackerman, and Spike Lee. This year was no different, with a diverse slate of groundbreaking narrative and documentary filmmaking from around the world. For our first segment, we'll go to the Q&A following the New York premiere of Kylie Blues, an audacious and innovative debut film from Chinese director B Gunn. It tells the dreamlike story of a man trying to atone for past crimes by caring for his neglected nephew. The film won multiple prizes at the Locarno Film Festival, with critics praising its arresting cinematography and formal inventiveness. Begon joined us to answer questions following the film's premiere at New Directors. Let's go to that now.
1: I'm going to start with uh, maybe the most obvious question. Um, I think among other films, among other things, I think this film is a kind of uh, amazing demonstration of the possibilities of digital cinema uh and maybe one way to talk about that is the extraordinary extended forty one minute uh shot um that is sort of the centerpiece of the film uh i am sure many people are wondering uh how you pulled it off, so maybe you could start by telling telling us
2: now Lai so for this particular shot uh, this particular long take I actually did three times and uh, we had about half a month of rehearsals to actually get this down and when I was growing up there's not a lot of arts to be to speak of and also that I have access to so a lot of decision i made for this film is not on the level of artistic uh, decisions and to me it's more on the anthropological uh, level to make a lot of decisions that, that uh, I had made for the long take. And uh, three times, then each time I actually got a different camera, deep digital camera to film the three d- different long takes that, that uh, I put together. And the first one was the Canon camera with the 5D Mark III. And this particular camera has the, uh, actually the luxury of having the smooth, gradual exposures. Uh, unlike other cameras that actually you have uh, three different settings and it's very it's not as smooth in terms of the transition. And I didn't have a lot of lighting to speak of. So this will be a camera that uh, I think it will be the best to capture what I want to do. And the second one, uh the second time I use a different camera and the camera was borrowed from a TV station and this particular camera actually had, the digital camera had the, the, the zoom. So I thought maybe that zoom in and zoom out could create a different texture for this particular long take. And the third time I actually used a very, very primitive, smaller, uh, very, very old uh, digital camera. And uh, it actually, it's not the, the memory card. It's still the, the DV tapes. And I thought that maybe in, uh, to use this type of old technology, quote, unquote, old technology, I get to preserve some type of grainy, fuzzy uh, texture to it and then somehow reflect the memories of uh, what I was trying to capture, this ideal memories and dream-like sequence. So uh, the the second and the third Takes Uh, third, um, I didn't use them because there are a lot of technical uh, uh, challenges that I didn't uh, quite like the the end result. so I decided to go with the first one even though that there were still a lot of imperfections technically speaking but I do think that uh, there's some sense of purity of this sort of perfectly imperfect, imperfect and then I think that there's still something to say about the aesthetics and the beauty of imperfection. So that's why I kept the first uh, So in terms of using film stocks and versus using digital camera or digital format, I do think that, of course, it would be great if I can actually use uh, film stocks to make films. But at the same time, I think uh, it is something, the mod- in terms of the modern filmmakers to think about that, We should not then wholesale or sort of, as a category, completely reject the the, the digital format and then only pursue the uh, the, in terms of making films with film stocks. And uh, to me, it's a a modern approach. And I really want to be able to have the options to actually use a camera, borrow from a TV station, a digital camera, still make a film that can be appreciated and also see the beauty of it.
1: Okay, So you shot it three times. Um, and uh, you said you spent quite a bit of time rehearsing with mm-hmm. with your actors can you t- what was your what, can you tell us a little bit about how the camera was actually operated was um, was your camera operator in motion were you using drones what was
2: what was the what, what was ha- what what was it <laughs> <laughs> So uh, in terms of the original script, it's actually quite complicated and I actually have to make a lot of difficult decision to add a lot of stuff out because that's the compromise I have to make because of the limitation I have with the equipment and also for the people involved. And a lot of actors participating in this particular long take, they didn't really know what's going on uh, in terms of who who's doing what and why they are doing these. They just know that there are certain things that they have to do and they, they don't even know whether or not these are strangers or these are people they should know so again it's it's something that just came out very very organically and then the three different we we have three different main locations and myself will be in charge of one and we have two other assistant uh, directors that they will be in charge of the two other locations and uh, I myself actually play one of the I guess extras uh, in the the film that uh, because I can have a full control of that particular location so uh, because the cameras I got, because of the limitation of budget, I have to borrow these cameras. Sometimes the cameras I use, after a month, I have to return them. So uh, it ended up the first take that I have, or the first time when I uh, the one that I have selected for the final cut is the the camera, the Canon camera 5D3, and on top of that I also use the, the Steadicam. And the Steadicam, uh, it, actually you cannot make a turn with the, the Steadicam, so every time you see that there's a turn, there's some kind of imperfection because of it, because it is from the, the Steadicam. And we have three. Uh, different cinematographers actually carrying the cams and uh, the cameras, and just uh, sort of almost like a relay uh, to make sh- sure that we can have this one continuous, un- uh, undisrupted take of 41 minutes.
1: Um, uh, I'd like to move on to to talk a little bit about the uh, about poetry. And the poems that we we hear in in the film, in voiceover, are, are your poems. Um, did you start out in um, poetry and literature, and can you talk a little bit about how you ended up um, in cinema from that, and, and, and you know, whether you, um, no, what t- t- you brought, t- I think, mm. from poetry to, to cinema?
2: So I started writing "quote unquote" poems uh, when I was 17. At the time, I didn't actually have the concept of a poem. So I was just writing something, just like Twitter messages or something I would post on the, the QQ uh, social, for, I'm sorry, the social media or foreign type of uh, environment online. So to me, I, I didn't really see it as poem. I just see it as some my writing, and uh, I. Actually have quite a few of them I lost a, a camera one times and a lot of quote-unquote poems were, were lost And I only have about uh, a cup I'm sorry a, a dozen of them left and I uh, Made my first film in the name of tiger and that film I didn't really know how to make films. I did not know how to create a narrative and a structure for the film so I I remember that I still have those unpublished uh, dozen films, uh, I'm sorry, poems that I have composed before, and I thought that maybe I can use that as a way to create an array structure, and then somehow combine the, the poems with the, the films, uh, the materials and the footage I have to pr- put together this particular film called Tiger. And I thought that well, it actually worked, and that uh, I continued this particular prax- process and uh, practice. With my second films, I actually still use the poems, and uh, I probably use it too much to a point that uh, I think that somehow upstage the uh, the film itself. So the third one, I decided to uh, revisit this particular practice, narrative structure. I use poem in it, and I really think that poems can create this. It can be very, very affecting, and just like music uh, or the score, music scores in a film so it can really create uh, some type of dramatic impact and really uh, give you this sense of being either, uh, again, the word is t- can be very, very affecting. And I decided to use it and then create a character who is a sort of not so good, uh, so-so poet, just like myself, in the film as well.
0: So to
2: me, poems just like singing karaoke to myself, with myself, by myself.
1: Um, could you say a bit about the, the quote that opens the film from the Diamond Sutra, the Buddhist text, um, which I think it refers to past mind, present mind, and future mind, um, which seems to sort of resonate with this idea of um, this reversal of time and the slippage of time that um, is, I think, very pronounced uh, in, in the film. So
2: uh, the Diamond Sutra, and I, it's a long story, and I had something to drink beforehand, so my, not me, but the director, <laughs> so, so my, the structure of my narrative might, be, uh, might not be as clear. And so I apologize in advance. And the story starts with this, uh, my first film, which is Tiger. And uh, one of the characters, uh, or the main character for Tiger is actually the crazy face that you saw. And it is actually, in real life, uh, a deceased friend of my uncle. And the uncle is actually also in this film playing the main character. And uh, uh, I guess that uh, when they are talking about this idea of making a new film, and my actual uncle said that it wouldn't be nice if crazy face actually want to participate in this or know about this film and could be part of this and then i realized that maybe there's some some kind of narrative structure i can create to link this these two characters together and uh, it just so happened that uh, one of the passages i thought from the diamond sutra is this idea of the mind from the past from the present and then from the future they are they are just equally, equally unattainable. So I use that as a way to structure my my short films, and I realized that it's actually very hard to understand what does it mean, and I feel really confused about it. I'm trying to figure out what it is, and I continue to use it and trying to explore this type of uh, as a dialogue between the t- you know as uh, bodhisattva and um, and with the Buddha, and then how are they going to somehow resolve these issues of memories about, um, about time, about memories. And I think uh, I have tried my best to really present a structure in this film to somehow answer uh, that question, but I still think that at the end, it's a, it's a futile exercise, just like what's been expressed in the uh, Diamond Sutra. So every time when I saw, or am I watched my own film, uh, this Cali Blues, I thought, OK, I got it. I, I understand what this means. But then after the film, suddenly I realized, uh, no, no, no. I, I still don't get it. I'm still very, very confused by it.
1: Okay, just one more question from me. Um, in responding to the first question you were talking, maybe about like, you know, not having um, just reference points. You were saying you know, making decisions not necessarily um, for aesthetic reasons, and maybe a filmmaker generationally and culturally having uh, maybe not the typical reference points of, a, of a, you know, an art filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there are certain, your film is very much in conversation with certain other filmmakers, um, as we were walking over after a drink or two, Um, we were talking about David Lynch, um, and I think just the uh, the sense of slippage of time and doublings and deja vu uh, is, is, I think, uh, very, uh, certainly you can make a connection there. Um, And um, the Chinese title of the film is Roadside Picnic, which um, is the title of um, a a novel that was loosely adapted by Andrei Tarkovsky um, as, Stalker, um, and the idea of the zone certainly seems to pertain to the maybe the village that mm-hmm. we see in the film. So, I'm um, you know maybe you could just say a little bit about your you know, your film film you know who who are the touchstones for you um, cinematically. To
2: me, growing up in Kali, which is where this film was shot, I didn't really have any access to a lot of things that are readily available for a lot of film students uh, in bigger cities. And it's not until I went to the universities that I have the chance to actually see some films. And uh, if you say similarity, I think maybe on the level of I drink, they drink too, and... uh, Maybe that's something similar. Uh, David Lynch might actually enjoy a cup of alcoholic beverage, and I do too. And uh, so I think on a level, we have similarities. But in terms of film-wise, I admired them as filmmakers but I don't think that in terms of the cinematic languages and uh, a lot of ways that I approach films are very very similar because that's just not my environment and I have my own way of thinking about films it's very uh, sort of this innate uh, sense that I have cultivated because of my environment uh, because of my upbringing and I do have a lot of uh, People that I admired and look up to, Tarkovsky definitely is one, Ho Xiaoxian, David Lynch, as you mentioned. And I remember that when I went to university, one of the very first film was The Stalker. And uh, at the time, I was learning about how to write scripts and how to direct for TV productions. And that's nothing to do with films. And I remember that this is one of the assignments I have to do, and I just randomly select this particular DVD. It's as, as old as my grandfather. And, uh, and I saw the film, and I, I really hated it. I think it's so hard to watch. And then I have to force myself to actually finish it. And the reason why is because I need to turn in assignments. I need to watch it so that I can criticize it. And uh, when I finished film, I I was completely at all, uh, I feel very, very touched the move by this Piketty film, and it really changed the way I think about films, and I start to, have, uh, start to watch other films as well, but not as many, just because of the lack of access, and uh, that's how I started uh, with my own journey as a filmmaker.
1: All right, let's take a couple of questions from the audience, yes? question is about the film being made on a low budget, but also you have a fairly well-known uh, composer, uh, Lim Gyeong, who works with Ho Xiu-xian, and Maybe you could say a bit about um, how that came about. What?
2: I really love the film by Ho Xiaoshian, Goodbye South, Goodbye. I think it's a very, very modern film. So when I first started this particular project, I really want to have Lin Chang, which is the one who did the score for the film, to help me out with this particular project. So I emailed him, and then he said that I didn't have time. I don't have time to work on this. So I persist, and I decided to send another email to him and uh, really ask him to help me out with this, to compose the music for me. And uh, uh, he said, well, he actually first saw my film with the link, and then uh, he decided to uh, help me out without actually getting paid for it. And uh, that's how the whole thing happened. It's just that it's not something so out of ordinary, just I wrote a couple more emails, and it just happened. I think I have to thank Lin Chang for it, for being such a kind person to help me out. Yes. So the question was well, how the director selected the the Chinese uh, the name for the, uh, the Chinese name for the film, and it's actually making reference to Tarkovsky that I think we just discussed. So. So actually, the, the the original name, the Chinese name for the film, is not uh, "Kylie." Well, I'm sorry, it's not "Roadside Picnic." That's the direct translation of the Chinese name. And uh, I I proposed this particular name. Uh, 那名字是... then, so the original Chinese name for this particular film is the. Uh, it's called the Book of Disquiet. By the Portuguese writers, uh, it's Pessoa, uh, Yeah, it's uh, Fernando Pessoa. And so that was the original Chinese name for this particular film. And when I suggested that to the producers and also my friends and uh, people involved in the production, and they said that the name is just too aloof. It's not even in the same dimension with the audience that you want to reach. So they suggested that I should choose something that is closer, Uh, it's more attainable, I guess, for the audience to grab the concept. So I decided to then change the name, the Chinese name, uh, to the Chinese name for my next film, which is Eye Picnic. And that's uh, how the, the name came about. Now I have to now change the Chinese name for my next project. I guess uh, this cycle will continue. <laughs> do you want to translate yourself? I'm just kidding. Yeah, because you said that uh, you will. So. Okay, should I do it? Okay, okay. So uh, in terms of the uh, the rhythm isn't also using uh, more or less shorter shot. I'm sorry, shorter takes for the first half, and then longer take, one long big, one long take for the uh, second half. And there's some kind of humor to it for the first part. I'm sorry, the second part somehow incorporate a lot of humorous elements to it because of the, the the long take that you get to absorb a lot of different elements that you want to uh, incorporate or want to include, and her. She's also from that particular part of uh, Guizhou, which is the location. And just wondering whether or not this has something to do with this idea of the local humors and local sense of time. And then uh, somehow create this almost like a, a shorter first half and then a long takes second half. And why is it so uh, the long take has something to do with that when i first started to make a living i actually have to film weddings and uh, for those wedding ceremonies uh, it's one long take uh, to include everything so in terms of the the structure using the long and short takes to somehow just to pose them together, it's because I think, uh, even though that I'm not from a, a place that with a lot of uh, arts, but I do have certain sensibility, literary sensibility, because of the the education I receive in elementary school, middle school. Uh, to college, and I have access to the old classics, the the poems from the Tang Dynasty, the prose from the Song Dynasty. So uh, very much so, the first part, the first half of the the films is this sort of parallel structures of the, uh, the long and the short, and the long and the short, and then that is very, very prominent in the uh, the The poems from the Tang Dynasty or the Prose from the Song Dynasty, so I am actually got in, I got inspiration from this particular way of structuring the shots for the first half in terms of the second half for the one big uh, one long take is because I do think that unlike paintings you can use. Lines you can use colors to create that type of texture and find that particular structure. For me, I need to rely on the the length of the the takes to create a kind of narrative structure because film is something that you have sustained. Uh, attention that uh, to observe continuously. And in order for me to create some type of visual structures, I need to manipulate the length of the takes to create that particular uh, sort of uh, contrast and uh, the, uh, the narrative structure that I want to create. That's why the second half, I opt to use this one continuous and long take just to create that, uh, the, the sense of time, that the short and the long and how to create a narrative structure.
1: I'm afraid that's all the time we have for tonight. Um, but if you like Kylie Blues, uh, I think you'd be into the next film as well, Lost and Beautiful, which starts at 9. Stick around if you can. I want to thank you all for coming, and I really want to thank uh, Begun for his film and for being here with us. Thank you.
0: Join us in celebrating the remarkable career of Morgan Freeman at the 43rd Annual Chaplin Award Gala on Monday, April 25th. Freeman will be honored by his friends and collaborators, including Helen Mirren, Danny Glover, Robert De Niro, and Matthew Broderick. The annual gala is the Film Society of Lincoln Center's largest fundraising event, helping to support our ongoing work in education, artist development, and cross-cultural film outreach. Tickets to the star-studded event are now on sale. Visit filmlink.org gala for more information. For part two of today's episode, we'll hear from Brazilian director Gabriel Mascaro, whose film Neon Bull screened at new directors after winning prizes at both Toronto and Venice. This sensual and humane film tells the story of a Brazilian cowboy who dreams of becoming a fashion designer, and culminates in one of the most striking sex scenes in recent memory. Neon Bull returns to the Film Society this Friday for a theatrical run, and we will also be revisiting Mascaro's previous films with a series entitled Gabriel Mascaro, Ebbs and Flows, starting April 15th. For tickets and more information, head to filmlink.org. Now let's go to our Q&A with Gabriel Mascaro from New Directors New Films last month.
1: I think there's a lot to talk about, but... uh... (laughs) Let's just start with uh, this, with the vaquejada. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, your sort of degree of familiarity familiarity with it. It's um, something that I understand is very particular to the northeast of Brazil, which is where you're from.
3: I to speak English. Uh, yeah, the vaquejada, uh, historically is really associated to a, the idea of the farmers in the start of the century. Cuitivo. Um, Cultivating the, the the bulls in the wild when the farmers didn't have fences, and they start doing some kind of party to 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 grab the bulls, and and it became more popular popular and and I grew up in the city in Recife where I had a lot of contact with people that comes from the countryside, so I was very close to friends that it was really the country culture very strong culturally. And when I was older, like five years ago, I by accident came into this huge vaquejada party which uh, recently has been completely reshaped and it was very spectacularized. So it, it in some way it came to me very strongly to to see how it there is some connection with this rapid and fast development development that Brazil has been faced in the last ten years, and this agribusiness part is something huge, and lots of as, um, genetic research, the horse semen insemination, and lots, lots of some a lots of things that historically wouldn't be imagined in northeastern culture because historically this region has, was associated to poverty, starvation. Lots sort of um, literatures, films, and arts in general. They used to talk about people living, you know, this movement of uh, living this region because these uh, problems issues. And I decided to, to I tried to make a film ab- ab- about people that don't don't want to live anymore, about people that want to change the place where they are living, and this road movie is is not taking them to anywhere. They are. Doing some kind of cyclical uh, movements, no? so the conflicts in the film are really focused in these small uh, gestures, these small silence these small minimal uh, situations that that the day to day presented to
1: them as a as a challenge no so just to hear you just describe that, that it sounds like there's a very strong um, documentary impulse. Um, you have worked in documentary and sort of, sort of, you know, on the edge of documentary and, and fiction, but with this film, um, I'm wondering how, how, um, I guess, how close it is, you know, how, how how documentary is it? Because there are certain aspects of the film that seem to drift quite far from that and towards more like fantastical or the slightly surreal um, elements. Like, you know, is 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 this a fairly accurate depiction of the Bakshada? would we find a cowboy who wants to be a fashion designer?
3: It's quite funny, because the film has just been released in Brazil. And some people, they say, oh my, that, oh my god, it's exactly like it is nowadays in the Northeast. But on the other side, uh, there is a lot of tweets from farmers and cowboys They say, this is, unbel- this is not true. N- Name a cowboy. No cowboys, the real cowboys would like to leave the the to be a fashion designer that's not it's not true so it's 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 funny but they look. iron their hair though <laughs> <laughs> and and actually in the research i really met a, a real person uh-huh. that really inspired me it was my first starting, starting point when i was oh my god that's something interesting and intriguing in terms of this this guy that In the reality, he works in livestock and he would shift and and work a few hours later in the the, the textile industry. Because just uh, information, this region Brazil has changed a lot and uh, the development brings some kind of textile factor specialized in software. So all the software in Brazil comes from this almost desertic place without water. And these contradictions and and this ambiguity of this imposed development and this um, personal, uh, un- uh, this imposing development has there is some connection in terms of how these human relationships are being reshaped very fast, and yes, and it, I, I try to 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 use in some use some real ele- elements, but. Uh, at the same time, it's fictionalizing and mixing and blending this almost realistic experience with mm-hmm. this uh, very strong day-to-day life of this group of people, almost observas- obs- observat- observational. Observational.
1: Observational. Yeah. observational. Um, so you. D- you know, we're talking a lot about sort of this socioeconomic um, aspects and uh, of the of the region, but it seems like you know gender is, is such an important part of of this this film. I mean, just even the idea of the cowboy, the emblem of masculinity, um, and this you know, this this idea of the fashion designer, in particular, this the fashion that he's designing. To um, and uh, and can you talk a little bit about just want, wanting to examine or do something with gender roles. I'm not sure that you're really um, subverting them, but you're doing something quite interesting with gender <laughs> in, in, in these films, with the various characters that you've assembled.
3: Yes, I tried uh, to not necessarily invert, but expand these notions of, of bodily experience. No, And um, so it's not a film about uh, uh, Male that has female skills and not the opposite, but how we can understand in some some kind of expanding possibilities in this place where used we as we clearly associate to some expectations no if I guess if I said oh, I was about cowboy oh we create a lot of uh, sexist uh, uh, preconcepted ideas no and and if I say, "Oh, the cowboy don't want to be a fashion designer," oh, so it's a film about a, a gay character. So we 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 are always trying to to create. Let's say, <laughs> <laughs> to, <laughs> difficult <laughs> even <The cowboy>. Portuguese. <laughs> Put people in boxes and try to 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 create a clear identity. You know, so I I, and for me that I was researching this region, I the the one of the. Pop star, the singer is really is, uh, like Junior, the character. With he every day posts um, tweets with taking uh, Wesley Safadão. That's his name. <laughs> <laughs> every day he's posts like, photos taking care of the bodies. And it's very interesting to see this macho culture facing some new perspectives, new 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 ideas of. Masculinity. So I try to, to to suspend these experiences and create something uh, that I could um, yeah uh, provoke in terms of expectations. And the film deals with this kind of the expectations we create. And the film slowly by slowly breaks some expectations and take us to different layers, different. Um, possibilities of looking to what they are. For example, there is a scene where I I like is when Junior is straight in his iron his hair. It is it's very funny. It, it's very common that people laugh laugh a lot. And then without cutting, without doing any uh, cinematic movement force, very, uh, very manipulating the feelings, we can see just one eyes where galega the driver is looking to the the guy she's she's appreciating the way he's taking care of his hair so so we we st- we start with the film in some way let us be in contact with their the way of they are relating, relating to each other, and the characters do not judge themselves no and I- neither it, judge, each
1: judge each other. Yes. I guess to follow up on that, maybe you could say a little bit more about your work with um, the cinematographer. Um, I think you shot August Wins yourself, right? But here you're working with um, Diego Garcia, I think one of the most talented young DPs around. Um, people may know him. He shot um, the Veresethical Cemetery of Splendor as well. Um, and And just what you were saying, it's... The visual language of the film is is very uh, composed, and um, some, there is a certain distance. Uh, at the same time, it's also a very sensual film, um, which I, and I think that's an interesting sort of tension there.
3: That's that's a very curious uh, question because we spent lots of time living together for one month, thinking about this film, and it was very curious to understand the how it was very important in this film because it didn't have a lot of cuts and different angles and points of view to really think about the distance no? the distance between the camera, the device and the, the bodies no? and um, we understood together that as, uh, cl- as closer we were to the characters we were reinforcing stereotypes like creating some kind of
4: so they felt that the the further away that the camera came, in they were actually bringing the audience and spectators closer to the characters and, and the, the, yeah, the awesome. and the intimacy of the characters.
1: Um, Do that apply with uh, animals as well? I mean, it's a film about, as you said, the film about the body, but it's not just human bodies, but um, but animal bodies. How humans relate to animals and how we film animals too.
4: So um, for Gabriel, it was very important to think about the the hierarchy of of bodies in the, in cinema, both animal and human.
3: E e e nesse caso, pensando no animal, assim, não 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 era necessariamente animalizar o, o os humanos nem humanizar os animais.
4: So in this respect, it wasn't about animalizing humans or humanizing animals.
3: Mas sim, é, tentar encontrar e pensar essa mesma distância. Justa, se isso existe, né? não existe justa, né? mas encontrar uma imagem é, é possível para estéticamente dialogar com esses corpos, sejam eles animais Whether ou vegetais.
4: Rather, a ideia era sobre encontrar uma distância, se isso existe, e uma justa maneira de observar esses corpos, animais e humanos.
1: Eu acho que podemos abrir para o público, eu estou certa que há perguntas. If you want to just raise your hands, if you have any. <laughs> A question about the casting of the pregnant actor, uh, described as beautiful and shocking for us here. You mean for Americans? Okay.
3: <laughs> Don't talk the name of the Americas, no. É para mim foi uma escolha, não foi. Yeah,
4: so it was a choice. It was a deliberative, deliberate choice to have a very pregnant actress for that scene, for that character. So not with no prosthetics or anything. It, she had to be pregnant. So the, the, the th- throughout the film, um, Gabriel uh, looking at the, the bodies and the transformation of, of of the human landscape. So the with the character of Edomar, he he's like amazed by this factory that he goes into that represents his desire that he has to become uh, a fashion designer. And so it's almost like him going into a temple, the religious temple. So when, And so when he goes into this room, which is where they cut the fabric and in a large scale, it's like that's where the place where they become naked. So uh, in in Brazil and particularly in the Northeast of Brazil, the idea of a pregnant woman there's an idea of purity about a pregnant woman, and kind of you have to treat her in a, in a pure way, almost as a saint.
3: Alguns vaqueros machos, n'even sequer fazem sexo com a mulher, própria mulher grávida. So
4: there will be a lot of um, like very macho uh, cowboys who who wouldn't even have sex with their, their partner or wife if they were pregnant. So, uh, so in the film, the idea is that this woman, uh, she's a pregnant woman, who she has her sexual desires, as in a, as any woman, pregnant woman has her sexual desires, and that Gabriel wanted to show that in the film. This woman, she's attracted to Omar, and she wanted to have this experience, sexual experience with him.
3: E por que não and and Gabriel, um,
4: and why not a pregnant woman? So, um, because there is a, a taboo around the idea of sexuality of, of a pregnant woman and the scene of a very pregnant woman having sex, um, the idea of the scene was also to to normalise that situation. So that he, that's partly why it's so long, is so that initially, when the spectator is shocked by the scene, that there's time to then adjust and have this shared experience with with the characters and, and with this scene and 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 it seem normal and, and natural so there's several moments in the film where it could seem just very picturesque, but then, with the, the time try to um, this become more normalized and more more ordinary
1: question about who the central protagonist is in in his dramatic arc. Um, do you see Irimaar as the center of the film, and is he is he changed over the course of it?. <laughs> I think this one is the most
3: difficult question. I d- not me even know who's the protagonist, and um, I think the film, some way, um, introduce our us into different um, experience. And the characters doesn't sound to have antagonists. No, they are not. There is not clear conflict in terms of these uh, classical expectations. What we would expect. Into this kind of narrative arc. Um, mas é um fi- Can you help?: me?
4: Well um, it's a film about the day-to-day and that the conflicts and the tensions happen in small moments in the day-to-day lives of the characters.:
3: So the, the,
4: one of the biggest conflicts of tensions in the film comes from the silence of silences of Kaka, the little girl in the film. So the, uh, the idea of the film um that it tries to avoid telling or bet on telling a story that doesn't necessarily need to figure around uh, one protagonist or one central character.
1: Question about the d- question about the dancer with the horse's head, um which initially may seem like a fantasy but also appears in a real situation and you say a little bit about that.
4: So uh, yeah, he agrees with you that the there is very, it's very present the idea of the fantasy in the film and then the documentary and that you go between these moments where you're really in this fantasy world and then you're brought down to this very documentary elements that could be could be documentary um, and that the film the film plays with that and goes from one to one to the other. Uh, so the idea that the that the figure of this woman who's both woman and, and horse and. Plays between the, the sensuality and the sexuality of, of, of her figure and in the, in the dance, but then also this um, the powerful woman and a woman who can. Who can there's a, the moment when she goes like this, and so she says it's force, and so it's going between the uh, the idea sexist, of the the so the. the um, Flirting with sexism, and then the fetish, and then uh, the force of, of her as a character within the film as well. Yeah. The
1: screenwriting, what was
4: the what? Uh, so, what was the process of the screenwriting during the research, and then doing the filming, and then how that with the process that seems very much based on the day-to-day? Is that?
1: So basically, yeah, mm-hmm. basically what Rachel said: screenwriting and and, uh, and the research. research process.
4: So, how did the research feed into the screenwriting, and then the screenwriting?
3: Uh, yes i spent almost 3 years writing the script and traveling in these parties it wasn't <laughs> very pleasant because the part is so intense the world is very sexist and i was in f- the first moment i was trying to make a film about the farmers the owner of the horse and then i discovered the the the, the cowboy that works in the textile industry so i, I came to the the backstage of the the, this event, to, and so I researched and researched and researched and of course this process of researching really helps to, to develop a script and um, yes, it it was a very rich process where I could uh, really meet a lot of uh, country cultural activities and it really m- helped me to to write Is it, what's the, the question? Did that?
1: This question is about this, the culturally specific responses to the film, because um, Gabriel has now shown it in Brazil and I guess ma- quite many other other places.
3: Uh, yes, uh, definitely. Each each uh, screen is very special. Different background, different cultures. Um, it's in, when the film is screened internationally. When the first question is about how was to work with with non-professional actors and actually the film has three actors so it's it's interesting to see how s- something like that can change the expectations and it's funny to to when I say that the people your oh lead your lead actor is quite well known yes well Brazil. known in yes. sub-operas tv brazilian tv sub-operas so um, yes um but there's a lots of different reactions. For example, we the art the film has been programmed in specific cinema that like is not common to show art house films. And just because it's about vaquejada, rodeo, some um, in Brazil some some cinemas program just because the subject like rodeo, no, like cowboys, and then the cowboys came. Oh my god! <laughs> And the farmers, you know, the farmers like, oh my god. Like and and sometimes the whole family like and, and I was into this, this screen and I was no 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 please please the kids, the whole the children like, no but you can't no, okay, I'm okay. So it was like uh yes And it curiously some farmers was very happy. Oh wow, for the first time we're going to show our culture of our farm life. And then one week after the screening, they figured, no, do not go to this film <laughs> because it's not, not promoting our farmer uh, activities. So it, it's, it was curious to, to see these uh, different um, appreciations. No? It's, it's always uh, quite intense and special and unrepeatable. Each screen is very unique. Yeah. Um the state of Paraíba and Pernambuco is very strong. The vaquejada, is they both we we shot in both states and they are very strong culturally. The Vaquejada is very strong, so it was very natural for us to to shut these two states in Brazil.
1: It's a sort of an, um a follow-up question about about gender roles and, and uh the mention of sexism and 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 how I guess directly did you want that to be um, a message?
3: Yes, and and expand these notions. No, the characters are having experience; and the, their bodies are alive. They are they are having experiences. And for example, for me, the the sex scene of the pregnant woman, it's n- it's not a sex scene where we are confirming or uh, proving uh, the his sexual identity or orientation it's not a heteronormative sex scene no it's 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 something that something beyond no comes not it's not used to prove now oh, he's not a gay he's having sex with a woman so it's not it's not used to to these effects no so yes and the way the the body relates to each other the way he's so like the way he he's the way they care about the bodies of each other in that situation, the, the, the almost forced contact is yes, it, yes, it is expanded, it is the expanding roles and these notions of uh, gender identity.
1: I'll just quickly summarize a Qu- uh, question about whether the film is. Comment on on parenthood and the absence of men, absence of fathers, uh, also in relation to the character of Caca.
3: Portuguese. I think I think the film lances commentaries, ne? I think that he, but he doesn't try to elude necessarily a response very clear because I think it is not easy to identify a very clear response for this context that the film creates.
4: So the film suggests several things and several themes, but it. T- tries to avoid um, choosing just one focus or one theme or one, one, um, uh, one, one response one clear response or idea of what it's what
3: it's saying as a commentary as muito mais pra gente so the
4: the the human relationships within those contexts within the context of the film are much much more complicated than any one answer could could Respond in terms of what's missing or what's absent. What's
3: Mas sim, a sua é but,
4: but yes, your your interpretation is is uh, it, it's it's real, it's relevant, and, and it's in it's in the film.
1: We we uh, we just said that they're actually actors, there's 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 an, and there's some non-actors. Yeah. Yes.
4: So it was a very challenging experience both for Gabrielle and for the actors, the professional actors and the non-professional actors, um and they worked for almost two months together prior to, this, prior to the filming, um, together to create a, a group. So they um at the beginning of the preparation they used the script as um as a as a base for, for the work that they did and then they left it aside and then were more spontaneous around working together to get the characters relating to each other and how they would react in different situations to each other. It was very magic, especially di- uh, directing Kaká, the little girl. So one of the, the instru- instructions or directions that um, Gabriel gave to Kaká um, in the preparation and during the filming was that that she didn't, if she didn't feel the need or the desire to say her lines or to talk, she didn't need to. The silence was okay, and that she should only really say um, what she'd memorised when she really felt the urge that she needed to say that, and that it had to come out. Um, and that the film wasn't, and he explained to her that the film wasn't kind of being shot in a way, and that it would be edited and cut. That there was time for her to really feel what she what she wanted to say and express.
3: E termina com esses momentos de silêncio e espera, enquanto ela mesma procura acreditar nela mesma, que para mim são os momentos mágicos.
4: Então, so uh, uh, Gabriel, esses momentos de silêncio, quando Kaka está esperando para um, dizer o que ela realmente sente e realmente really acredita, really são momentos mágicos no filme e no processo de
3: direção. É quando a vida contamina a ficção. E é quando a
4: vida real contamina a ficção. So the, the, the non-professional actors are Cacá, the little girl, Zé, who's with a big tummy, and um, José Naldo, who's the quieter vaquero as well. And then the other, uh, Junior, Junior, Central do Brazil, Junior. Uh, Junior uh, Vinicius de Oliveira, who was the actor, who's the little boy in um, Central Station, Brazilian film, I would say. So now a big boy. <laughs> Long hair. And then Juliano Cazarei, who's a very well-known uh, soap opera actor in Brazil, and May Jenkins, who's also a professional actress, quite quite well-known. So the the process of the preparation for the for the actors was a very rich process. They did lots of exes, different kinds of exercises, and there's the specific scene when uh, Kaka asks Edema for a hug. So Fernando Webstein, who's the, uh, one of the editors of the film, when he was reading the script, he said to Gabriel before the film, oh, this scene is going to be really difficult, it's not going to work. Like, you need to make sure you film it from lots of different angles, because it's really risky. Como so they did an exercise during the preparation where they, ooh, where they, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> where they put Zay, the character Zay, uh, up against a wall. So he was, had his back against the wall, but he was kneeling down. So it's a really difficult position to hold yourself.
3: And he's fat, so it... Like I'm like this, sweating a lot, and Kaká was in control. To, to, When Zé would say, give me a hug, I'm suffering. And when she believed in Zé, she would allow him to leave the position. And she was like, oh, my God, you are a liar. So she was playing a lot for almost half an hour. And Zé was like, give me a hug. And and she now you are lying you are lying you fat guy so it was we are we were creating this tense situation because in the film they have this tense relationship and also creating some kind of memory where she would understand not by herself but by the otherness the the way of. They believe in what the person is telling. So she experienced it it before. So during the scene, when she she said, give me a hug, I said to Irema, do not give a hug. So when she asked, give me a hug, and Irema said, huh? And she felt like, like I'm not telling, I'm not being, I'm being, being I'm being I'm not being convincing. And she looks to herself for like, 30 seconds. I think she is remember remembering the situation and trying to find the way to say give me a, a proper give me a hug. So it was very magic uh, way to 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 also create some ludic experiences and and creating and directing situation not necessarily by the script but also by different experiences of, of previous experiences.
1: Okay. We can take uh, one final question. Uh, yes, questions where the, the film was shot in sequence. Mm, the sex scene with pregnant was the last one.
3: <laughs> the actor was oh my god, this one should be the last one. It's gonna be so difficult. I'm very nervous to do this. The actress she was very okay, super fine to do this, but he was very nervous. He was so nervous that even did not ask about their horse masturbation. So he was—he so was—he was okay with that. Uh, he didn't—he forgot. He didn't, he didn't think, think about, about that. It. He was so nervous about the the pregnant scene. Then he, we were there to do the the sex, the the, the horse scene, and we, you know, let's go, let's all action. And he was oh, stop, stop, stop. Where's the proteic? The, the prosthesis, uh, prosthetic. prosthetic. No, no, there's no prothetic, It's gonna be for real. No way, he said no. And he said, No, 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 stop, 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 God, take off this horse from here. <laughs> and the big horse, like, boom. And uh, I don't know, I, I had to explain. I thought, Oh, conceptually, this film, fuck your concept, it's my life. <laughs> you're going to go to New York Film Direct uh, Festival, but <laughs> my life's going to be what's going to happen with me, <laughs> my reputation. <laughs> and he said, I only you make this scene if you do first. So, yes.
1: <laughs> I
3: had this experience in my life <laughs> <That's>
1: All right. <laughs> I think we'll end on that note uh, So, Gabrielle, thank you so much Rachel, thank you as well Thank you all for coming
0: The close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org. FILMLINC.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.